Welcome everybody to Sharpen That Axe, a podcast dedicated to strengthening your skills as a guitar player. My name is Dylan Murphy and I have to run for a bus in about 40 minutes. So let's get this baby on the road. John, how are you? Doing all right. Ready to go, man. Let's, yeah. let's do it up. Let's do it. Okay, so this is going to be a very Dylan-heavy episode. Um, not a very heavy Dylan episode, unless you talked to me about seven years ago before I lost a lot of weight. So I, have I a cannot really imagine you like weighing any more than you do now yeah you know how people like yeah yeah that's uh, you know this is this is not a visual medium so probably not the best time to discuss it so <laughs> friends it's my turn for lick of the week and there's a reason why i've chosen this and i can already tell john's gonna know what it is and it's not even so much a lick but i remember hearing it for the first time and thinking it was the coolest thing i'd ever heard so john if you want to yep. have a listen yeah, and uh, yeah, don't drink any more caffeine while you're at it, because, dude, you, you are like, you are ready to go. Okay, here we go. Something about in the howling wind. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, John, what's the what's the band? What's the song? Well, again, not a visual medium, but perhaps you can see the poster directly behind me there. Zoo tour. Yeah, the the classic Zoo TV tour by U2. So, but this this was a few years before that. This is Bullet the Blue Sky off the Joshua Tree album. Oh yeah, I mean, what a what a crazy album. And why did I pick this? Oh, because you just bought the uh, the Hammer Explorer. So yes, I, I did. Yeah, exactly. Classic. It, it has that classic edge look, which I think is what he used on the Unforgettable Fire album, uh, if yes. I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. I don't he know. Went to, um, I think he went to Sam Ash Music in New York, which uh, I visited a couple of times. And it is where uh, he picked up an Explorer and he looked at it and he was like, maybe there's a few songs in this. And then he went to the producer, maybe Brian Eno. And Brian Eno was like, okay, where, this is a joke, right? Where are all the other guitars? And then he was like, <laughs> nope, just got this one. But, just the uh, one. Yeah. I love it, man. I love my Explorer so far. I haven't plugged it in yet because I'm in my granny's house. My granny thinks it looks like a weird Pablo Picasso guitar because it does look weird. It does look like a weird guitar when it's <laughs> but it's not on you, and you just look at it. It's like an optical illusion, but I uh, I, I am enjoying it. Uh, Kramer, we can talk about them another time. Um, yes, Bullet the Blue Sky, fantastic song. Uh, one of my favorite U two songs because I think every member of the band is doing something really well, and it just blues. Like, even the bass is really good. You know, Adam Clayton being a really solid. You know, not flashy, but it works really well. No, I, I think this is this was one of their best writing periods. I'm actually a huge fan of the uh, called the Octung Baby Zoo TV, and even there's a lot of stuff on Pop that I thought was really creative. So uh, up through that point, I'm, I'm I have to admit, like I got a soft spot for you too. So yeah, I think the, I, I think a lot of people who are not from Ireland have a really soft spot for you too. Well, um, I kind of I I'm I I can't stand him now, and I haven't been able to listen to him since about '96. So yeah, I know it's and, it's and yeah. Bono's Bono. So is is Bono? Yes, absolutely. Um, cool. So yeah, Anyways. that was one of my favorite. I think it's it's like song. Is it song four? It, uh, <laughs> it is. It's song four off the Joshua Tree album. So and Joshua he, Tree was what, 88? Yeah, 88, okay. I think. Yeah. 
and just like the first four or five songs were just absolutely bangers i remember hearing an irish music journalist going like it basically starts with the best song and then just works its way down um uh you know but like the first half is just dynamite 87 march 1987 okay thank you internet uh so yeah i i know i'm a big fan possibly my probably my favorite youtube album though i do have a soft spot for all that you can't leave behind but that's just a nostalgia thing um, <laughs> So for Gear Talk this week, we could we were thinking about maybe talking about like Gibson going completely bankrupt, um, but we just only heard the news really today, so we don't have well, a lot of. Yeah, yeah, we talked about him filing for bankruptcy uh, a few episodes back, but they yes. recently released the news. They're they're going to see what they can do to try to be solvent and unload a bunch of the brands that they wrecked. So <laughs> you know, like, such as, um, you know they. Gibson bought a whole bunch of smaller, like, software things. Uh, I think they, they own, they don't own Cubase. Uh, but they do, they did buy, I think, the RKT, uh, the Rocket brand, and uh, among a few other things. It's just, like, they, they failed to promote these things. They really don't know what they're, what to do with a lot of these consumer electronics brands. And yeah. uh, e- even home studio brands, they just, they completely mismanaged them. They didn't have the people in place to really do something with these things, which is sort of why you wonder like, why did you buy them in the first place? But that's kind of, yeah. yeah. Real uh, our friends. We have um, a friend of the show, Matthew Callahan. He started in for me a couple of weeks ago and he provided a really good in-depth analysis um, very journalistic approach to what happened to Gibson. And um, if you are curious, please go back and listen. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Shrug, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they hold so many brands. It would be good to see them, somebody else pick them up and actually do something with them. And even Epiphone, which is kind of a crazy thing. They've owned Epiphone for ages. But why is Epiphone producing better instruments or comp? I should say not necessarily better, but comparable instruments to <laughs> to Gibson at this yeah. point. So it would be great to see somebody kind of pick, even pick up a brand like that and really run with it and see what they can do. So there you have yep. it. Yeah, there, there, there you have it. But uh, instead, we're going to do yeah. what now? We are, we are, well, we are keeping on sort of a Gibson trend. We are going to be talking about, uh, bring, revive our section about how a certain guitarist uses pedals. And so, you know, I wanted, I'm trying to think of an iconic pedal, uh, pedal using guitar player that wasn't the edge because, you know, that could have, I, that could have been a really easy segue, but we're not about that here. <laughs> At least uh, not today. Someday. Um, so yes, Gibson, um, when I think of Gibson, I think of Slash. So I'm talking, that's my lazy segue for today. Um, yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about how I have prepared a small report on how Slash uses pedals. Um, just uh, the reason, okay, so John, opinions on Slash as a guitar player, your thoughts? Um, to kind of borrow an Irishism, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's fine um you know i mean not not to take anything away from him and i certainly remember like the november rain solo and the solo from you could forget yeah and and the solo from oh bugger what's the name of the 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 song where he's the there's like dolphins swimming in the streets in the video is that like don't cry 
No, not Don't Cry, uh, but it was another one off the Use Your Illusion album, and I'm totally blanking on it. That's really embarrassing. But I do remember seeing videos from the Use Your Illusion albums, and they're just these epic videos, right? And there he is, like, out in the desert, or he's on a beach, or he's, like, in the middle of a canal, just, like, shredding people's faces off. And so super iconic. I think he's a really iconic player. And the stuff that he did was important, I think, for a lot of younger guitar players is coming up, learning how to play. But I don't find him memorable in terms of melodies necessarily. I don't find him memorable in terms of the, the, the guitar solos, but he's good writing riffs. I mean, think about Appetite for Destruction and you think about yeah. those Use Your Illusion riffs. They're just, they're so big. And some of that too, I don't know how much of that also comes from working with Izzy Stradlin who was just a fantastic guitar player. Yeah, really good. Like, really and just... Arguably better than Slash as a player. So, yeah. I, but okay. I think Slash just has more of that frontman lead guitar thing where Izzy's just like, I write stuff and I play it really, really well. So. Yeah. I, I remember, like, that opening to is like to don't cry is just like an arpeggio but it's as he did it and it just sounds really good like yeah. there's nothing pretentious about it it's just it's a really memorable just just a minor arpeggio and it just works so really i well. am curious though i didn't i don't usually think of slash when i think of pedals i don't usually think of slash so i'm curious what was it that you said or was there a particular song where you like I really like this effect, and so that's why you wanted to talk about it. It's a good question. Um, so if you recall a few weeks ago, uh, harken back to a recent episode, we were talking about signature gear. And mm-hmm. I, was, I did uh, some digging into like what artists have brought out their own signature gear, who's had you know, a good feedback from theirs. And man, Slash has his name on everything. Um, he is like Mickey Mouse um, <laughs> and it's, it's no it's I swear to God like he's got like you know he does that doodle of himself and it's just all over his gear so I was yeah. like does he really use effects so I went back and I listened to Guns N' Roses and I'm pretty sure Guns N' Roses were outlawed in my household not because they were um, anarchic or anything but because my dad thought they were really super lame and pretentious um, so your dad was much more like into the grunge stuff right yeah, yeah just like that whole um uh, uh, grungy alternative like REM REM and the Pixies and you know that kind of stuff the, okay. the, yeah and a lot of new wave as well but yeah I, I, so I went back and listened to some Guns N' Roses and like I do really like his use of effects it's um, so I've been looking through his rig and like I think that the opening to Welcome to the Jungle with that um, dotted delay effect is just really, really good. Like, you know, I remember growing up listening to guitar and I thought that was just, you know, that was two guitars or something like that because it just works so well. I actually right. just, I, you know, was fixing my guitar pedal, you know, my delay pedal in a, uh, a sound check the other day and I just got that BPM. So I was like, oh yeah, I can play this riff now. Um, I think he kind of maybe falls into Kirk Hammett territory a little bit when it comes to the wah and um, yeah but I, I think it's just like for something like sweet child of mine it's one of those songs you've heard so many times and you can like hum the solo so can i just say i hate that song like I what just do you hate, hate about it, it. i i, I just don't think it's yeah i just don't think it's that great of a song like it's yeah, not it's guns not. and roses best song and it's not even slash's best riff that said yeah. i mean 
everybody else likes it and I end up teaching that riff a lot and it's great for when you're like hey look at this it's a perfect d-shaped major scale right there and you know it's a good talking yeah. point good teaching point but I hate that song yeah that, that, <laughs> that, that, that's fair um, so I was looking through and yeah so he does use the wah a good bit he has his own signature wah it's got a little you know, swell button or whatever. And um, I, I think as well, like he does use the talk box a little bit as well in some of the, mm -hmm. the earlier Guns N' Roses stuff, which is really, really cool. Um, I started getting into music at around the age of, you know, around the year, age of 13, about 2003, just when Velvet Revolver were on the up. I don't know if you recall, but it was oh, yeah. super group. And I, I really liked that first album. I thought it was... Really you no, know, that, that's a good album. That's some of his best writing, I think. I think so as well. I think it's just like the riff writing and the, because you know, you got Scott Weiland, RIP, uh, to bounce off. I know it works really well. Yeah. Um, as far as pedals, I just like how kind of basic he keeps it. He doesn't go for, maybe it's just like a, he's too lazy to try anything else, but he is kind of like Prince. He is a boss man. He uses the DD3. Mm -hmm. um, he uses the, uh, just like, you know, a regular crybaby. Let's see about the boss. He uses, um, uses the, e the equalizer pedal, which I may have traded it partially for my, um, for my <laughs> new explorer, my new baby. And um, yeah, just a few other things as well. Like, I don't know, as far as talk box, it's nice to have someone who, not Richie Sambora. Um, as <laughs> yeah, I agree, <laughs> agree. It's been replaced. I only learned that recently by Phil X. Really? Yeah. I, Did you, yeah. No, I, I don't follow Bon Jovi, so. Uh, I'm neither to die, but um, <laughs> apparently, yeah, this, this guy has taken over for Richie Sambora for like the last three or four years. And um, Phil X, fantastic guitar player. Um, yeah, yeah, I think what I like about Slash, uh, Slash as a guitar player is just he, for, uh, when it comes to using effects, he's very, you know, it's something that'd be quite affordable to work towards if you're a beginning player and getting into effects. It's like, you don't need to buy an Earthquaker device, sorry, Matty, um, pedal just to get like these big sounds. You just, you know, uh, he he barely uses any overdrives. He just uses the JCM, and mm -hmm. he just you know he just uses a few MXR pedals. I think he uses the MXR Blue Box, which is a fuzz pedal that I'd never heard before, and uh, it sounds really cool if you look up demos of it. And um, the thing about Slash is that he's just got Guns and Roses have such a devo devoted devout fan base that like there is like pedals sorry there's um pages set up just for his pedals like websites there's one called slashes paradise and it's just like all <laughs> the gear every different incarnation of his band like it's that's what's really interests me like he doesn't use pedals like that he doesn't rely very heavily but he's got such a fan base that it's super easy to find which ones he uses on each song because people are just nerds man yeah, it's true. I'm I'm surprised, like with all the other technology out there, that is is he still using like the DD3 and all of that? It just... Apparently so. Yeah, he's yeah. using the, like the MXR Phase 90, which is a classic. The that blue um that blue box from MXR. Right. Um, yeah, when it comes to that delay, um, yeah, just uses it for just uses it, for, it does it does come out a lot in the Velvet Revolver album. He relies heavily mm -hmm. on delay on that album a lot, uh, but it works works really well. That's all I got for this right now. Maybe we'll pick a more interesting guitarist next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I do I I like your point though that he kind of proves that you don't necessarily need the whole giant array of pedals to get a decent sound. Yeah, it I doesn't. It doesn't take as much as I think 
a typical post-rock guitar player would have you believe. But if you're going to play post-rock, you got to have a giant pedal board. So that's it. Yeah, kind of yeah. goes with the territory. There goes yep. all your money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sweet. So, John, as you know, last week I released, um, or the band I was playing in released uh, a single. Uh, Stephen Sharp and the Broke Straight Boys uh, released our new single, Sounded Out, uh, available on all streaming platforms. And we were thinking maybe talking about the studio and what happens in the studio when you're writing songs like this. Because this was a song we'd only played live, maybe. Stephen had played it by himself live uh, uh, you know, a couple dozen times, but we played it live with him maybe two or three times and we never played it the same way. So we actually had to sit down before going into the studio and working out what exactly we were putting down. Because um, if you listen to the song in its entirety, it's a bit all over place structure-wise. So um, I've prepared some clips and I'm going to tell you how I kind of came up, what gear I used. Um, uh, I'm, I'm really just being very self-aggrandizing this episode. I'm making it very... <laughs> Well, uh, perhaps you can give us a little bit more insight to kind of why we talked about doing something like this in general. What's what's the bigger picture here instead of just <laughs> looking at a whole bunch of different clips of things you played on? This this sounds like, you know, writing a thesis all over again. Um, oh, I, I thought we uh, said we would never speak of such things. Uh, uh, so uh, I think the big thing about that comes that, that comes from this is that you can write and you can rehearse and play live a song all you want. But when it comes to putting stuff down in the studio or putting something that works for, well, we're not going to get radio because the song is absolute filth. But we're, um, you know, when you want something that's kind of more accessible to a fan base, you know, you got to kind of go everything over everything with a fine tooth comb. And sometimes stuff just gets changed in the studio. Sometimes stuff like you've never played before. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the big thing. Can you talk a little bit about, before we go into it, your studio experience? Yeah, I think one of the reasons that this seemed like a good idea is just because, like you said, sometimes the studio just changes the way you're working on a song. And sometimes, but there's also the whole prep that goes into it. You know, so you still need a song structure. You still need to have some idea of, of what you're going to play and what you're going to do. Obviously, we've talked about this before. Studio time's expensive. So when you're yes. playing, you know, you want to you want to make sure you're not coming in. This is not like the early 80s where you can go in, put a whole bunch of coke on a table and spend a week there <laughs> just trying to play, just trying to make up music. Like it, it yeah. doesn't work that way anymore. Essentially rehearse whatever it is you're going to play that said sometimes you get in there and things aren't working and maybe the song structure changes or you get a producer who says this is great but really put this here do that there and and you get a better sense of things so yeah. just just the sense of practicing i think is a big thing i actually went in and just recorded a couple acoustic tracks yesterday but the thing that i made sure i had done in the week leading up to it as much as possible sit down with just my DAW and record the part, make sure things are lining up with the click track because it's funny how much you rush or how much you lag. Usually most guitarists rush, but you, you, you're gonna push these parts a little bit. And so really making sure just things line up and as you practice it, just what, what works and what doesn't. But at the same time, like you were saying, um, and I think you're gonna elaborate on how much things can change in a studio. Another session I did, we came in, and thought we had an idea and decided, tell you what, let's just jam this out. And we jammed something out and thought, okay, there's some good stuff in there. We'll come back and we'll retrack it in about a week. We came back and listened to it again. And like, yeah, no, we're just going to go with yeah. that. Cause that really? okay. 
Yeah. And so sometimes you get these things where like first take, you, you feel it, it's a vibe, it works and, and you go with it and you go back to redo it and it's just not the same thing. So, yeah, no, I, I think as well, but it can also go the other way around. You can jam something out and it can sound good at the time. And mm. the producer we are working with, he says, you know, he, his philosophy is like, don't say you're happy until you've heard it. Like if you give it a couple of days to breathe and then come back to it and you know, it might be, you might be just caught in the heat of the moment, but there is a chance that it may not sound as good uh, on another listen. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Sweet. So, okay. shall I talk about a couple of the parts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll grab clip one here real quick. I assume that's, we're, we're going to go in order, right? We are indeed, yes. Okay. So, we'll grab, grab clip one. about what you got going on there it's sort so, of a I mean, yeah. barracuda kind of style <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's um so yeah what i'm using is i'm using actually using the um i used my strat which is like it's like a hss strat um it's you know got a big loud aggressive uh invader Seymour Duncan Invader in the bridge, which can, is not uh, a very versatile pickup to work with, but it does do uh, overdriven tones really, really well. So I use that for the, the start of that part. And then for the, see, what I was, my original plan was for this part was just to not play guitar for the, the verses at all. It was just to like let the bass and the drums work. And the producer was like, no, that's, that's too bare. You're going to have to put something in there. Nope. And uh, that was like, oh, shit, kind of thinking of something on the spot. So I tried that whole harmonic thing, just playing natural harmonics uh, in alternate picking um, harmonics uh, on the, the low E string up, I think, at the 17th fret. And it just sounded really good. So he was like, that's great. Can you do anything on top of that? So I basically just um, did it, uh, harmonized it with on another string, and it just uh, panned the guitars right and left, and it sounded, sounded pretty good, I think. Wow, that's a, so that's a really interesting idea. Um, and then you're going to have to play it live at some point. So. That's it. So right now I've just been playing one of the parts, but I think um, I'm, in, I'm thinking of getting a, a harmonizer pedal. Um, I've been looking at the POG too. Um, Ooh, so. I like the POG. Yeah. Or the, the mini POG, which doesn't help you as much, but... Yeah, so I, yeah. I think it's all about kind of shopping around. Um, sweet. So uh, the next part, if you want to. All right. Okay, so this one here almost has like kind of that late Led Zeppelin vibe. It just, it sounds really big. It sounds really out there. Lots of things going on. And yeah. Yeah, and just huge guitar. So what do you got? This is, this I did through my Strat with the humbucker in the bridge. And I also used uh, my Epiphone Les Paul for this. Um, just to kind of get that real 
thicker sound. And yeah, I'm really happy. This is my, my, my favorite thing because I really just wanted, because the whole song from start to finish is the same four chords over and over again. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, but the whole thing was to make it sound like something different. So when I came over, up with that riff over the four chords, um, I was like, okay, cool. Keeping this, this is my Seven Nation Army, like big kind of chant along riff that I want. And um, so, yeah, that's my favorite part that I wrote. And uh, yeah, I think it just works. It's just octaves. It's very easy to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Very cool. If it works keep it so what i i bleh, i'll try that again what i like about what you're saying here is that essentially just because it's only four chords doesn't mean you need to play just four basic yeah. chords right so you're able to kind of do different things come up with a different riff come up with a, a different voicing or one of the things just moving octaves around so if you have a g chord for example you can play G in the octave, you can play B in the octave, you can play D in the octave, and then you've got something that sounds completely different. Absolutely. So, so yeah, that was... Um, also, I wanted, like, it's, it's just... We've got the the dubstep BPM, just the... Right. Bump, <laughs> bump, bump, to the halftime, uh, which I, I'll admit was my thing, because, you know, dubstep's coming back. No, it's not. And, <laughs> <laughs> thank God. Sweet. So, next part, if that's cool. All right, yeah, number three. Okay, so what do you have here? So I wanted to do the verses again, but I think one of the big things that I've learned from reading about songwriting and song structure is that, you know, if you can vary up the verses as much as possible, I didn't want to do just the harmonic thing mm -hmm. over and over again. So uh, here I just took like a kind of a motif and I stuck it in at the start, just basically taking notes of the chords and playing them with vibrato that really needs to be worked on and uh putting putting that over and it just worked really well with the the bass and the drum rhythm the bass and i'm i it's like the bass and the drums are so tight it's like crazy it's uh on the song it's just like a donna summer <laughs> yeah really good. and then at the end like we weren't i we weren't going into the chorus again so i had to pick up pick out something different so I basically took the riff to Debaser by the Pixies and I just played it really high and then harmonized <laughs> and because uh, it just worked really well with the, and once again, I'm going to need a pog for this. And then Sharp, the singer, heard it and loved it. So we stuck in loads of vocal overdubs over it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fun, but it's one of those things like just studio, just happened in the studio at the time. I, I thought I was going to look back on it and hated it and it actually turned out pretty, pretty sweet. Cool. All right, yeah. so we have here clip number four. Yep. Okay, so number four. Uh, yeah, volume's kind of down. But you still got kind of that driving rhythm to it. What, what, it, what do you make of that? This is like four guitars on top of one another. This is like really like stupid from thinking that I could ever recreate this live. But uh, I've got the, yeah, I've got the kind of the constant, the alternate picking going on in the background. And then I've got um, like volume swells that come up 
mm-hmm. uh, midway with the uh, with the volume knob, um, which I am a big fan of. I'd love to do it better. I kind of have this thing where I have to do it with my index and thumb, and I really want to move that to my the the palm of my hand. You know, the the side palm, like yeah. We, I just I need to practice. It's something I really need to practice. It's something so stupid. It, well, uh, what guitar are you using? Because that that does make a difference. Like it it's, does. Yeah. It's really hard with a Les Paul, but it's a whole lot easier on a Strat or a Strat yeah. style guitar. So that's the the Strat that I'm going for. Um. Yeah. And then again, I stick it stuck in those little like stabby, you know, those stabby upper string things at the end. And yeah, I think it just works. It's kind of like a sort of I don't want to say ska, but it's really like kind of just at the end but yeah, yeah so that's how i how i wrote it and we're going to stick the song in at the end of the episode so people can listen to it it's in, in its entirety but yeah maybe we might come back to do another studio episode and like maybe how to prep for the studio or something yeah yeah something something like that would be good we've talked a little bit about it in the past i'm curious before we leave it off so you've got four parts there was that something the producer suggested was that something you suggested how did that come about See, the thing is, so we, we tracked the, the drums and the bass first in the same day and we kind of left it and I got the tracks with my rough guide vocal, with my rough um, guide guitar, which is very basic, and, my, uh, and the, the vocals as well. And the bass and the drums just kept on going and I was like, oh God, what am I going to put in over there? So it basically started off as like, why don't I just take the harmonic thing that I took from verse one and stick that in? And it just kind of felt really flat so I just, I stuck in the swells and then I was like, cause we're doing kind of a disco thing. Could I stick in some like disco stabs? And it just went kind of everywhere. I was just trying to keep it interesting really for mm-hmm. me and as well as everybody else just, you know, and I really like the way that it's panned from left to right. So, uh, you know, you can hear all the different guitars in each speaker um, which is kind of what I was going for, but yeah, going to have to buy a looper, going to have to buy a pog just to play this song. There you go. Okay, so moving along, what, so what, what have you been working on? Yes, John, I'm going to ask you, what have you been working on? Oh, man, what have oh, I been working I on? Oh, um, to be fair, like it's, it's, it's been an interesting week. We've had a lot going on here. So, but what I've been able to squeeze in has been um, just kind of trying to keep up my left-hand technique. So this is interesting. I've got a couple of students who are really trying to build up their speed. And I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, just the idea of things like sweet picking is actually way more in the left hand than it is the right hand. So as I've been helping students with this, I've been kind of going back to my own left hand and just looking at like, how do you, where do you place the hand? How do you place the hand? And the whole thing of relaxing. So finding some, some exercises to just help relax and then to build speed from there because you can't play fast if you're tense. So you have to figure out how to relax and then play fast. So that's, it's more esoteric than like, Hey, I've been working on a song or this particular thing, but that's just going through some exercises, focusing on position and technique and really just zeroing in on that. It's not very exciting, but it's helpful. So anyway, uh, you, what have you been doing? working on well no that's that's really interesting i i've have you where did you find the exercises to that the left hand exercises was it uh, something? It's, it's something that i picked up just kind of along the way so a few of them just like a diagonal exercise just as you're going uh same uh-huh, with, okay yeah just fifth fret sixth string and then you go to sixth fret fifth string and so on 
but just really focusing on the placement of each individual finger, where it hangs, where your wrist locates, those sorts of things. And then applying that, once you're comfortable with that, applying it to scales and, and just your finger position alone, thinking about that changes how you feel the guitar and how you, where your fingers go and then beginning to do things like hammer-ons and pull-offs, but keep it relaxed, keep it slow, keep it articulate before you start just trying to bring the speed up. Yeah, breathe through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty much. Um, for me, I have not been. Well, I've. I am still a devout uh, member of the Chris Zupa Udemy course, which is going really well. But it's kind of hit this point part where I'm like, oh, this is easy. I'm getting on well. And now the things that you know I'm being thrown are like, okay, I really need to. I can't take four exercises in a day one anymore. I need to sit down with each one and just mm. crack on. Um, great course, Chris Zupa. Uh, future guest and recent guest of the show um, will be uh, yeah he's, he's, he's fantastic a really good guitar teacher you should check out his Udemy courses uh, I'm going through the um, ultimate shred machine one and having a great time um, but also for me I've just been I um, I have a friend named Sarah who uh, performs under the songwriting alias Wim and she uh, she was you know she's been featured in New Girl she's like had loads of different songs and commercials and uh, she's super young as well so we're both we were both going through some writer's blocks so we started up this um kind of songwriting exchange thing so cool. i've just been kind of working on songwriting and um, i really like the idea of having an accountability buddy uh, i think that's a south park reference <laughs> on uh, how to on just uh you know, know showing people your what, what you're working on and i think that's a really important thing i highly recommend it if you want to do something musically because if you're if you're answering to somebody else it, it you're more likely to get stuff done Agreed. Agreed. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, I love that idea. And what have you been listening to? Oh, you got me. Okay, pulling up the pulling up the Shopify. Shopify. I work for Shopify, not Spotify. Uh, <laughs> I recently watched and uh, read an article by this very famous Irish music blogger called Nyler Nine, who had the hundred best, uh, sorry, the fifty best Irish music videos ever made. And one of them uh, is actually by this band called Elenkis. And I know one of the guitar players, Josh. And it's a fantastic music video. It's, um, I've never actually, I never had really sit down to watch them and play or listen to them, listen to their music. But they have this music video where it's one of their lead singer is walking down with a hood. It's like a guiding shot of him walking down Shop Street in Galway. And he's just screaming along with the, <laughs> the songs. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's feckin' great. So I've been listening to their EP, their latest one, uh, Elenkis, the EP is called Hunger. It's like heavy thrash. Well, not thrash. I'd say kind of sludgy metal. But yeah, that's what... Oh, that and the new Janelle Monet album. If you miss Prince, go listen to the new Janelle Monet album. It is super, super slick. Definitely. How about you? Cool. Um, I have been listening to Julian Lage, or Lage, or Lage, or to be honest, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but his latest album, Modern Lore. So he is a jazz guitarist, but sort of more blues influenced, I guess, if that makes sense. He's not afraid to bend the strings once in a while, which is something, you know jazz guitarists don't always do but you can hear a lot of his different influences there you come across a lot of Schofield influences and Matheny oh, cool. in there too I'm a big fan of Schofield because Schofield gets a little more weird we'll throw in some outside tones that I just I appreciate so uh, uh, yeah <laughs> Julian Lage of, of 
outside tones or just being out yeah, of outside, tune. Outside. <laughs> Maybe hey, both. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so it's it's a great album. A lot of memorable hooks. There's some good stuff, some fantastic guitar playing. He's going to be here in Colorado Springs on the 11th of May. So yeah. hopefully I'll be able to check that out. But anyway, that's me. Unreal. Cool. So um, that's us. We did it. We did it in like 40 minutes. Hooray! Uh, it will not be so rushed next time. I'm sorry, guys. Just my bus is calling me. Until next week, stay sharp. <laughs>